my dog's barking. I mean, literally, my, my dog's barking. I'm not, I'm not saying my feet stink. I mean, the dog's out there barking. Yeah! That's best intro ever! I seriously didn't even think about the feet stink thing when I started saying that. It's just... Because who would write that? Who would write that intro? Is that like a Saturday Night Live sketch? Who would, who would write that? And then like, yeah, I'm going to open with that. <laughs> Fuck. Now I'm embarrassed. Maybe that was a bad intro. Maybe I should start over again. Hello there. I'm Nick. I'm still calling this the broadcast. I'm still working on a better name. Do I have to... Can I move these when I change when I change the name of the podcast because I have a book on on podcasting and you are allowed to to rebrand as I rebrand should I I should put it in the new URL I don't know there's so much stuff to do because I don't want to lose you all you darling lovelies out there because you are you are the the wind beneath my wings but I also need to get something i'm I'm approaching 40 episodes now uh 48 if you count the uh the episode the eight episodes i just started and stopped because i was getting angry because <sighs> i was talking about politics all right i'm gonna give myself uh 20 seconds to talk about politics i'm not actually gonna time myself uh and i'm not actually you know i'm not gonna talk about like who's right or who's wrong or who's more wrong than the other side who's wrong i just i want to talk about the point we're coming in because for the last three years three years let me start that rewind it for the last two years we've had the presidency the senate and the house of representatives all with one party which meant half the country was uh you know generally cool uh, with the federal government, uh, no real problems. Uh, everything's good. The sun was a little brighter, shinier uh, in the morning. A little little spring in the step. Nothing. You can still be mad at some fuckers out there, but, you know, fuck them. Uh, and now, uh, starting in, in a month and a half, the mid-January, uh, they're going to be mixed. It's not going to be one party anymore, which means nobody's going to be happy. Everyone's going to be mad. Everything's going to be politics, 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 politics. We're all on the wrong direction, and it's all going to be the fault of the other party uh, because they'll be obstructing. And so uh, the nice, relatively nice uh, last two years piece uh, where one side's been mad and the other side's been ignoring them. That's going to be over. Everyone's going to be mad. Everyone's going to be fucking mad. Oh, I just got a text. Okay. Oh, it's on the computer that's making the sound. Because I did mute my fucking phone. Because I'm not a fucking amateur. I'm a fucking professional. But I'm hooked up to the phone. Or the computer. And the computer gives me the dinghies. I guess I can turn that down. Check this out. There, see? I'm a professional. So that's it. That's I'm done talking about politics now. I want to talk about what uh, my recollection tells me. Bill Burr was talking about uh, a Godfather poster, and uh, when he was young, 
is a Godfather poster, and either he had it or someone had it. And it was just like a joke that he made for something. But basically the point was when he was like 16, 17, 18, I don't know. He had a he had a Godfather poster, and he because he liked the Godfather, and that was it. And that's what you know. <laughs> there you go. That's what it's like to be eighteen, seventeen, sixteen. Uh, it's it's the part when you're eighteen, when that starts to change. Um, because when you're sixteen, you're like, well, I I like what I like, and I've got a poster on the wall, and now you're into it. And, you know, now people got social media, but, you know, you go out on social media and you share a picture of your poster and you, you spread the word. But that's it. That's, that's what it's like to be a 16-year-old. You like what you like and you share what you like. You, you write it down. There's this thing. <laughs> ah, when I was, uh, I want to say 13 um, uh, I had, uh, there's this puffy paint stuff in a tube and you squirt out like line with it. You like write with it. It's, it was kind of like a pen, but it was like puffy paint. And so it was like three dimensional. And so I, my dad had a, a, a metal case for tools and screws and shit. And he let me have it. And I wrote the name of a bunch of, uh, hair bands uh, on this thing. And I, uh, I kept that for a while and eventually I moved out. And, uh, what, what usually happens when you move out is you don't take all your shit. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Uh, my wife's talking about getting panda at the mall. Yes. There. Okay. I took care of dinner. Ah, with three little letters, I took care of dinner. So, so I, anyway, as I was, I was saying, as I, I moved out, and I didn't take all my shit to the dumps uh, like I probably should have done. <laughs> Move out with what I'm taking and burn the rest. What I did was just grab what I wanted and left. And then your parents eventually go into the room. They, re they, they realize you're not coming back home. And then they go back, they go into your room, and my dad found this fucking, fucking little metal, I, re I remember it vividly, it was like orange, like safety equipment orange, uh, with multicolored band names like Great White and Skid Row, all over it. Ah, and so he found it. And I didn't see it for uh, for a while, but uh, eventually, as I came back home, <sighs> anytime I came home <laughs> with someone, <laughs> my wife had to go through it. <sighs> within uh, I don't know, within an hour of me going home. My dad would uh, would inevitably come out of the back room saying, "Oh, hey, I found this for you. You want this back?" And uh, yeah, when you're when you're 24 years old and your dad's bringing up embarrassing artifacts that you made when you were a little kid, it's uh, certainly not cool. I got no pussy that night, uh, or maybe I did. 
but it wasn't wasn't for wasn't for that. But anyway, uh, I liked what I liked, and I I wrote it. I got so there's these things, these old things called magazines, and if you wanted to learn about a band that you liked, you had to go get a magazine because there wasn't any Twitter or tweets or shits like that. You had to go get a magazine, and then that was all complete bullshit because. They'd interview someone, they'd, they'd go find the band, and there'd be like one guy in the band who showed up, and he's just saying what's good for album sales, because it's not like he's getting interviewed all the time. He's getting interviewed like eight times a year, so he's just like, okay, I'm in marketing mode, and then you hear whatever he thinks is good for marketing uh, whatever badass stories there are, tales on the road. And then those get filtered down by someone who's figuring out what's going to lead to the most magazine sales. So it could be the most inflammatory, you know, one, one inflammatory sentence. Like I remember um, the, the singer for Pantera, uh, when they were on hiatus, uh, said that uh, Dimebag, the guitarist, uh, deserved a smack. And that one sentence became not just the story in the magazine, but like the defining moment in history for that band. And so, uh, you know, all of these things come together. It's not like today where you can follow your favorite musician and find eight to ten tweets from them a day about everything and anything and nothing at all. Uh, all you knew about these bands was uh, what passed through multiple layers of uh, people going, what's best for me to come through this filter? Uh, and then pictures of the band. Uh, often with uh, without a shirt on, because that's, uh, I guess they were trying to get the girls into the bands too. Uh, I didn't particularly need that, uh, but it was what it was, but I just had a, you know, I'd get a magazine and I'd cut out a few pictures and they'd be up on my wall. I'm not going to lie. I had some, I had some, uh, uh, trying to think of, uh, the magazines hit parader. Cause I keep thinking of teen beat and tiger beat, but that was not my scene. That was someone else's scene. Uh, shit. Do I have to go out here and Google it? Uh, 90s... 90s metal... Magazines... Hit Parader? Is that what I'm thinking of? Heavy metal, heavy metal... No, no... Google's like, yeah, here's 10,000 uh, different pictures of a magazine called Heavy Metal. Thanks for nothing. Alright, Circus, Hit Parader... Shiza. These aren't helpful at all. I mean, but that's what you needed uh, to to know what's going on in the band. If it wasn't on liner notes or in a music video, you <laughs> you needed that. Uh, well, liner notes, you guys may not know this. You used to buy uh, albums. It'd be physical copies. No, you guys know. You guys, you guys have had CDs. You know what I'm talking about. You're not that young. Uh, so yeah, inside of a CD, there would be, uh, shit, uh, writing pictures. Uh, so there'd be that. 
Metal Edge. Metal Edge. Was it Motley Crue, the magazine? <laughs> Didn't have that. I was talking with my friend Tyler the other day about the Motley Crue book and the Motley Crue movie. I gotta pull that out. Let me pull... I gotta... That's some shit right there. Uh, let me wrap up... Uh, wrap up my point. Um, and then see if I got my Motley Crue book in here. Um, and follow up with that. So, I, my, my point is... Uh, you go through this age where you're celebrating the things that you like. And then you go to the point where uh, there's like no fucking joy at all in celebrating the things you like. That you got to go out there and do the things you like. And that's the, the, the age. I know, I know how old you are and you're... You're coming to that age, and I'm excited for that, to, to see what it is you go out and do. Uh, because that's the, that's the, the maturity, the maturity part is, you, you know, you've been practicing for that by putting posters up on the wall and uh, posting memes and shit and pictures of shit and shit and shit on the social medias, but now you're going to go out there and find what it is you like doing and do it. All right. I'm going to put my headphones down and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to fart loudly while I, oh, I put on the world's large, I'm going to put on the world's longest fart while I go look for this Motley Crue book in here. Uh, here we go. I'm back. Did you guys miss me while I was gone? There's a part. There's a part in this book I wanted to to share, and I put I put a uh, a bookmark in here because I had this out like two months ago, and like this would be a good chapter to to read and talk through. So there there's bands that you like. Band, a band usually, and by band, I'll, I'll go say, you know, like, fine, include Taylor Swift and uh, whoever you want. The, the, the artist you like, whether they're a band or solo, they become famous because they have a song that becomes popular. Whether it's good or not, or whatever, they, they get famous because they're content is well received and then some become super famous and then uh most of the time things change uh musical tastes change uh bands aren't able to keep up or they 
break up or for any number of reasons. The usual thing that happens is the bands uh, stop being famous way before they were like, no, I'm done recording albums and going on tour. Uh, usually, like Winger, usually they're completely up for still doing the whole rock star thing, but no one's paying attention to them anymore. Every now and then you get an Aerosmith or a ACDC where... Hey, see here, my dog's barking. I'm sure the dog wants to go outside. Sorry, I'm only 16 minutes and 30 seconds in, Baxter. I got another hour to go. At least. Hour and 20 minutes. You're just going to have to piss on the floor. Wait. These are technically my floors. I'll finish, I'll finish this point and then I will listen, let you listen to a loud fart before I read some of this book um but yeah you get a you get a band like acdc where they were on top all the way through to you know the the singer's not allowed to be on stage anymore or he will go deaf so they they basically stayed out on top until they weren't allowed to play shows anymore the they the world never lost interest in them i wouldn't say they kept up with the times at all at all they, they've been doing one thing for 50 years now, or 40, at least 40 years now. Uh, Aerosmith, same kind of thing. Bon Jovi, they changed with the times. They, they went douchebaggy. Metallica certainly changed with the times. They've gone back, but you get it. They, um, it's gotta be super hard. Like, think of like Def Leppard, who... People will go see them, but it's only, it's only like nostalgia. They were huge, but it's just nostalgia. Uh, I'd put Motley Crue in that same um, boat or uh, thingy, the same category where uh, there are no new... I can't say no. There are not enough new Motley Crue fans to sustain anything remotely resembling going on tour and recording albums. So they did what uh, I guess anyone would be happy to do. They they wrote a book. They're fuck-ups. Just complete the worst... Well, they're not the worst people ever, but they're fucking shitbirds. And they wrote a book that I certainly couldn't write because none of my shitty stories are that interesting. Uh, but they basically wrote a book, uh, had a movie name that stripped out all of the negative stuff uh, about that. But, you know, Motley Crue for the last 20 years is only famous for uh, the infographic or the details of the, the history of the band. Um, and not for the music. So I'm going to, I'm going to let my dog out so he doesn't piss on the floor and I'm going to get my, uh, Panda Express eating lips ready to go for some dinner when that comes back. Uh, I'm going to play the world's loudest fart or longest fart. It's not the loudest. I can turn it up. Let me turn it up and try to make it the world's loudest fart too.
probably hear the dog barking way more when it's outside. Hey, that fart's still going. Shit, yeah! Okay. So, so that's it. I've set you up for the book. Um, I'm going to read some of this because... So a lot of there's a big book. There's a lot of writing. Uh, I'll say before I read this book, it was like one of my dreams to talk with Tommy Lee, who's the drummer, and uh, just to have a conversation with him someday. And after I've read this book, that that was all gone. Any. Any emotion I had about him other than uh, appreciation for the drumming that he's done, uh, that was all gone. Uh, this isn't a chapter. Let me see. I hope as I start to read this, I'm going to remember why I wanted it. So this is uh, Vince. He's the singer. Uh, let's see. Oh, the dog wants to come in. Just as I was about to start to read, the first word is it. Let me, uh, I'm going to let the dogs in because they're just going to bark this whole time and Motley Crue deserves a little more uh, not barking than that. get my fucking headphones on my fucking ears all right so i got a starburst i thought that would help me read it was the day the new wave died and rock and roll took over may 29th 1983 day two of the three-day u.s festival Circling above hundreds of thousands of kids in a helicopter, the first helicopter we'd been in, it seemed, it seemed as if the scene on the Sunset Strip on Friday and Saturday nights had suddenly been transported to a field in the middle of nowhere on a sweltering hot spring afternoon. Ozzy Osbourne, Judas Priest, the Scorpions, and Van Halen were performing in front of 300,000 kids, and so were we. Every city in America must have sprouted its own equivalent of the Sunset Strip. This wasn't an underground thing anymore. It was a mass movement, and finally we were all meeting to put a new nation on the map. Looking down at all from the helicopter with a bottle of Jack in my left hand, a bag of pills in my right hand, and a blonde head bobbing up and down in my lap, I felt like the king of the world. That lasted for about a second. Then I got scared shitless.
Ah, Starburst in my teeth. We only had one album out, and it had just grazed the pop charts at number 157. Most of these kids probably didn't even know us. They'd been in the heat all day. They would probably hate us because they were impatient for Ozzy and Van Halen. I took another swig of Jack as we landed and met our new managers, Doc McGee, who was basically a drug dealer with good business sense, and Doug Thaler, his yes man. The guy who had signed us to Electra, Tom Zazzut, the guy who had signed us to Electra, Tom Zatout, was there with his girlfriend, a surprisingly hot chick considering Tom's luck with women. I went to the dressing room to put on my makeup and costume and see what I would do for the line of girls and reporters waiting outside. After what seemed like just a few minutes, there was a frantic knocking on the door. You were supposed to be on stage ten minutes ago, Doc yelled. Get the fuck out there. From the moment we played Shout at the Devil, I knew we had made it. I had nothing to worry about. These people had never heard the song before. We had hardly even begun recording the album. But by the end, they were singing along, pumping their fists in the air. I looked out, and with every word I sang, with every guitar lick Mick played, the crowd rippled in response. <clears throat> I understood then why rock stars have such big egos. From the stage, the world is just one faceless, shirtless, obedient mass, as far as the eye can see. Mick left the stage first and walked back to the trailer that doubled as our dressing room. Waiting for him inside was his girlfriend, who we called The Thing. A big, mean brunette whose sleeves were rolled above her elbows. As soon as he walked in the door after having played the biggest concert of his life, she hauled off and punched him square in the face without a word of explanation. Back in Manhattan Beach, she would sometimes get drunk, beat him up, and kick him out of the house, after which Nikki or I would get a desperate phone call from Mick asking us to pick him up at his doorstep. It gets from my starburst out of my cave. Afterward, for me, was a blur of alcohol, drugs, interviews, and chicks. I remember walking off stage and seeing Tom Zatout's girlfriend, who had stripped down to a leopard skin bikini because it was so hot outside. I grabbed her, pressed my sweaty face against hers, and stuck my tongue down her throat. She pressed her body against me and bit my lip. I brought her back to the trailer, past Mick, who was sitting on the steps holding his head in his hands, and buried my face in the girl's tits. Just then there was a knock on the door and a squeaky voice said, Hey, it's Tom. Can I come in? What do you want? I asked, worried that he had seen me. I just want to tell you that was uh, 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 amazing. That was the best show I've ever seen you play. Thanks, dude. I said, listen, I'll be out in a minute. I just need a little while to chill out. Then I tore his girlfriend's bikini and fucked the shit out of her while he waited outside. Nikki turned red when I told him what I had done. You fucking asshole, he screamed. Can't you keep your dick to yourself? That dude signed us. If he finds out, he's going to hold it against us and seriously fuck up our new album. Sorry, I replied, but that's only if he finds out. So, that's Vince's thing. And I know I know you guys are wondering uh, whether or not uh, Tom Zatout found out. The next chapter, I'll do a little bit. It's an interview with the book writer with Tom Zatout. 
Tell me about the U.S. Festival. I just remember driving in the middle of nowhere and the band getting paid a lot of money by some guy from Apple to play this concert in front of all these people. Do you remember anything notable about the day? Well, it was kind of weird seeing them play outside in the middle of the day. Did you go to the festival with anybody? I went with Doc McGee and Doug Thaler. Anyone else? Yeah, my girlfriend went with me. Did anything strange happen with your girlfriend that day? No, not that I remember. Because Vince said he slept with her. <laughs> he slept with my girlfriend? That's what he told me. No, it couldn't have been her. He said she was wearing a leopard skin bikini. Okay, then it was a different girl. The real meaningful girlfriend wouldn't have worn a leopard skin bikini. It was probably some trashy date I was with. Nikki's probably been worried about it all these years, but she didn't mean anything to me. It was Vince, not Nikki. It was Vince? Well, Vince had a never-ending stream of girls. He would do ten girls maybe before the set and ten after. You used to look at him and say, man, where does he get it? He never stops. I used to be amazed because he had a, he had a steady girlfriend. When he was around, they were like they were married. But the minute she turned her head, he'd fuck someone else. So, I'm not going to read the whole book. Uh, but you get it. This uh, That's probably the coolest story in the book. Uh, the rest of are just uh, stories about what shitheads they are to each other. I know. Uh, you can watch the movie. I th is it on Netflix? I don't know who made the movie. Someone They, they acted it out. Uh, they got Machine Gun Kelly to play Tommy Lee. Uh, he really disappeared in that role. That was fun. Uh, but it was just the fun rock star shit. Uh, all of the stuff that really makes you hate him doesn't end up in the movie. Like the... Uh, most of it's Vince. Uh, who, who had all the... The bad luck, because they were all bad people, but, like, Vince is the one who had to pay the consequences for everything, or he had a harder life than the, the other guys. And I think the other guys were actually worse. Uh, well, maybe Mick, Mick seemed nice. Mick just seemed like a, a pussy who was just trying to get through life. Uh, Tommy, 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 like, is a woman-beating woman-beater. Uh, I don't know, Nikki's just a... a punk uh vince i don't know he he uh he went partying and uh they're partying for the weekend like days without sleep and then he and his friend drove down the hill to get some some more beer because you gotta have beer when you're partying and vince crashed the car and the guy other guy died so drunk driving uh vehicular manslaughter uh, I think he got 30 days in jail for that, uh, which isn't fair, uh, at all. Um, but, you know, he's obviously racked with guilt for the rest of his life, too. Whereas everyone else in the band was doing that same kind of thing. They just didn't get into the accident. So that that's what I mean by him, I don't want to say bad luck, but if you got four shitty people doing shitty things, he's the one that... <laughs> The consequences landed on, uh, and then his uh, his daughter. He had a, had a I forget how old she was. She was five or six or seven. 
uh, she got cancer and died. And uh, just going through the story, you know, as uh, talking about a father living through that experience and then him turning to the bottle and like gaining 80 pounds or whatever he gained because his life was shit. And, uh, I mean, like, uh, all that you would expect from watching your, your daughter slowly die of cancer. Um, and, you know, just, uh, all the different quotes from the band making fun of him for, for getting fat and, and shit like that. And that, that's the stuff when I, when I like, yeah, the, you know, Tommy beat up his girlfriends and I don't support that, uh, at all. Um, I don't even know why I'm trying to compare the two, but just the thought of, uh, of, uh, one of your best friends, uh, presiding over the slow agonizing death of his young daughter and then your friends making fun of you through it. Uh, yeah, I mean, they... They had a new singer for a while. Uh, I don't know if they kept up with the times or not uh, with them. They definitely left the the 80s metal scene. I, I love the way Bill Burr was talking about uh, the music. He'll, he'll, he'll listen to uh, some songs, some hair metal songs, because it takes him back to a place in time. But... When he comes up to a stop sign, he's got to turn the music down because he can't he can't have people uh, listening as a uh, listening to slaughter. Uh, <laughs> what uh, around uh, around my wife when we started dating, I just put on put on a slaughter album while I was doing something. I wasn't like, hey, check this out. You know, I was just off doing my thing. And she came in the room, and uh, I think the lyric was, uh, You're a liar, 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 with your pants on fire, always going back on your word. And she's like, Did he just say that? Oh, my God! And that's when I realized uh, that uh, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of big hair music to be uh, ashamed of. Uh, not that there's not uh, that in every genre, but uh, yeah, like I can still I can still put on uh, "Holy Wars" by Megadeth. There's nothing uh, shameful about that. Uh, but uh, not gonna be putting on "Slaughter" in in public ever again. Uh, which, you know, Slaughter changed my life. You know, I, I named my dog after the drummer. I, uh, I was, uh, I want to say 13. Uh, maybe I just turned 14 and I saw Slaughter and, uh, within two months had figured out how to get my drum set. Cause I saw, I saw Slaughter and that drummer Bloss is his name. And I'm like, that's, that's it for me. That's what I want to be doing. And uh, I put in, and the rest is history, as as they, as they say. Spent years alone in the garage, uh, playing, uh, chasing, chasing fantasies that were life changing, awesome. Uh, 
So yeah, Slaughter is always going to have a special place in my heart, but not for their great uh, fucking lyrics. So so there's that. So unfortunately, a lot of the music I like, I've got to I've got to keep it on the down low. And Motley Crue, are they? It's hard to say. You like you know the the song uh, "Piece of Your Pie," or. Uh, Cause they're even even when they're cheesy, they weren't like super cheesy. Like uh, Doctor Feelgood, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, it's a song about a drug dealer, a guy getting drugs. Uh, not not Shakespeare, but it's it's also not you're a liar, liar, liar with your pants on fire. Uh, what was that uh, that Quiet Riot one? Uh, I'm a finder and a keeper. I ain't no loser and I ain't no weeper. I'm like, holy fuck. You need to go back and fucking write that song. You're not you're not done writing it, buddy. Because, uh, yeah, Motley Crue, there's not a lot of stuff they do where I'm like, oh, I'm embarrassed for the lyrical content. I guess Nikki, who is the, the, the lyricist. Always found uh, something meaningful uh, to write about that wasn't just like words that rhyme. Uh, yeah, and they got they 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 changed their sound in the in the nineties that everyone did after uh, Kurt Cobain uh, came and kicked eighties hair in the nuts. They talk about it in the book. Motley Crue does about uh, being ashamed for all their uh, womanizing ways, uh, raping unconscious girls in the closet, uh, things like that. And fair enough. Um, I mean, even if girls are throwing yourself at themselves at you. Uh, what they talk about, they made a, a girl sit on a champagne bottle. <laughs> Naked. Well, with it inside her. Uh, they're like, we're going to go out and play a show. And uh, left her in the dressing room, sitting on a champagne bottle. And like, if you're not there when we come back, uh, your ass is out of here. Uh, so, you know, even if women are throwing themselves at you, uh, the, the, the degrading stuff they did to, to make it interesting. Cause at some point having sex with women just wasn't, isn't that novel anymore when you're doing it. Like what was it? Vince, I, I believe he was really having, you know, hooking up with 10 women a day. Uh, at some point you got to come up with something to spice it up because you become, uh, normalized to, to that level of shit. And then to, then to to go from that lifestyle to uh, your kid dying, uh, Kurt Cobain making your music not cool anymore. Um, you so you sit down and you write a book uh, about how horrible you are as a person, uh, and then you get another twenty years of uh, semi fame after that. Uh, they don't, they're, they're not friends, clearly. Uh, Vince, Vince is not friends with the other three. 
Um, they don't do stuff together for the last, you know, for the bits of tour, they're together and they show up separately. They play the show and then they leave separately and they travel separately. And, uh, I, it is what it is. I, I don't, I've been in bands before. You don't, you, you realize that you don't need to be best friends with everyone that you're in the band with. And that's cool. Um, it helps if you like each other. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Especially if you're not famous. Once you're famous and you've got a, you know, 10 album catalog that you can just show up and do, you know, maybe you do a week's worth of rehearsal and then you go out on the road and all you got to do is be in a room while you're doing band shit. Uh, that makes it easier than uh, putting in 40 hours a week of rehearsal for w w getting ready to go. But uh, yeah, no, it, it definitely helps if you uh, don't hate the band you're in. So so that's it. So that's uh, it's fucking Motley Crue and uh, Heavy Metal Magazines. Do they even have shit like that now? I used to run San Diego Punk. Which is fun because I was never the right person for that. Um, I just didn't have the follower mentality. I had the old school punk mentality. The fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. Um, but punk in the 2010s was not about fuck you. I'm going to do what you want. Punk was about conformity with people who pretend that they're edgy. Uh, so that, that I was, I was always going to be the wrong, per well, not always, but I was definitely the wrong person for it by the time it came around. <laughs> So I eventually gave it to some people and like, hey, are you are you a, a suck up? Do you do you do everything you're supposed to do uh, to make the punk fans uh, feel like you're properly representing the punk bands? Uh, good, good. If you're if you're ready to suck the greasy cock of the punk community, then uh, you take over because I wasn't uh, I wasn't uh, I wasn't enjoying it anymore, and people were. Uh, I, I was like, uh, we, we were all having enough of each other, so it is what it is. Uh, you can't make everyone happy, and if you got a big community out there, you know, if you've got 5,000 people, uh, reading your, your stuff, uh, because even then, it wasn't that they, they... It wasn't that I became famous. It's that I i was like the Dread Pirate Roberts. I showed up and took the helm of something that was already famous. And I was supposed to be doing a certain thing. And I wasn't doing that certain thing. Uh, I was i was being honest. And that's shit's... That shit's never, never gonna fly if you've got a community based around an ideal. Uh... You just have to suck the greasy cock of that ideal. So there you have it. Uh, am I done bitching about music and uh, and things? Uh, yeah. I'll say I'm not bitter about my time at San Diego Punk. It was it was fun. Um, 
I did what I wanted and then I handed it over when I'm like, okay, I'm not, uh, I'm not able to, I, I'm not able to say what I want to say. Uh, I feel constrained. So let me find some people who say what they want to say and I'll go find, uh, something else to do. Uh, back to the, uh, the posters on the wall. That's maybe the, um, the, the transition. You, you have the posters on the wall and then maybe you get a job, uh, promoting someone out there where you've got to fit into some mold and you're just out there as cheerleader, official cheerleader for things that, that people like. And that's cool too. But eventually you got to say, nope, if, uh, if I'm not feeling that, uh, I got to be true to me and people will like it or not like it. Uh, I'm not going to falsely, uh, characterize myself. I'm not going to put myself where I don't belong just because there's an audience there and try to fit into their expectations. I'm going to go off somewhere else, uh, and be me and get whoever follows me for the sake of me. So that's the point of this is the Burtcast. I know I'm never going to get, uh, 40,000 listeners, uh, unless I do. Uh, but that's certainly not why I'm doing this. Um, which reminds me, you, you need to order some of my, my tea. Uh, I probably won't name my Pu'er tea until I come up with the new name for the podcast. And then it'll be, then it'll be official. I'll put it out there. But you can stop by now and buy some from me. So come on over. Uh, it's school night, so I can't be up too late. Uh, so stop by by 10. And we'll, uh, you can buy some of my tea, and then you can drink it here or take it home. All right, assholes, it's been fun. I left that on too loud. I see, according to the map app, my... My... My dinner's on its way, my Panda Express. I'm gonna eat that shit. And that's the truth. Maybe I should... Oh, wow, it's in stereo. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's right, I made it in stereo. I forgot, I thought it'd be fun to have it... The fart bounce back and forth between each ear. Like it's dancing. So if you're not listening to this in headphones, you're fucking missing out. If you just got one ear in... It's probably getting louder and quieter, and you don't know why. But if you were, if you're wearing headphones, it it sounds like someone's got their ass sticking up, and they're circling around your head <laughs> like a fly. <sighs> so, I guess that's it. <laughs>